Restaurant Unstoppable episode 604 with Thomas Wynn. You know, the fabric, it's not anything that a hundred other companies are doing. Like if you buy a pair of Nike shorts, it's no different than 20 other companies. The main difference is their logo that they put on it and, and how they got people to the point where they prefer that. Are you ready for it? Factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. I'm sure you've heard of Revel, but have you heard of the Revel Advantage? It is the payment processing solution that seamlessly integrates into your Revel point of sale and platform to create a complete system tailored to your business needs. Revel manages both your POS and your payments with integrated software, hardware, and credit card processing to save you time and money so you can focus on your business. Learn more at revelsystems.com slash un stoppable here is a statistic for you 89 percent of all guests will research a restaurant online before dining out so you've got to start thinking about how you can extend your in-house hospitality and attention to detail to the online world bento box is a great place to start they will develop a restaurant website that not only leaves lasting impressions with your guests but also provides hospitality focused tools that are proven to drive revenue online and guests into your restaurant sign up today at getbento.com slash unstoppable and save up to $1,500 on initial setup for your new restaurant website get on it Everybody loves payday, am I right? But loving your payroll provider, that's a different story. It's a little weird. Still, small businesses across the country love running payroll with Gusto. Gusto automatically files and pays your taxes. It's super easy to use, and you can add benefits and HR support to help take care of your team and keep your business safe. It's loyal, it's modern, and who knows, you might even fall in love. To learn more, head over to gusto.com slash Unstoppable, and when you run your first payroll, you'll get your first three months free. Again, that's gusto.com slash unstoppable. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Thomas Wynn. My man, Thomas, are you feeling unstoppable today? Uh, at the moment, yes. Not this morning. So, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Uh, well, hopefully by the end of this interview, we'll get you there. Uh, hailing from Houston, Texas, Thomas Wynn completed his law degree at the University of Texas at Austin and started his career as a litigation attorney. Dissatisfied with the path he was on, he left his legal career behind to pursue his passion in business and marketing. In 2009, Wynn co-founded Peli Peli, a fine dining restaurant specializing in South African comfort food. And in 2016 uh, of October, Wynn co-founded Peli Peli Kitchen, a fast casual version of the original concept. To date, the restaurant group operates five total locations, three Peli Peli original locations, and two Peli Peli Kitchen, the fast casual concept of the original Peli Peli. Man, you got a lot going on. I can't (laughs) wait to dive into your story to find out how you got to where you are today. But let's get that motivational inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra what do you got for us i mean for me i think i'm 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 perfect evidence of the fact that i mean you can't be good at something unless you're truly passionate about Mm. it what is it exactly that you're passionate about 
Man, I'm, I'm passionate about kind of making an impact in the community. I'm, I'm passionate about creating something that's a, my own. Um, I, it scares me sometimes, but also provides me comfort that, you know, I hold my destiny in my hands. And, you know, to create something impactful in the industry that doesn't currently exist. Yeah. You know, to me, that, that's something meaningful and it, it, it drives me. It keeps me motivated and interested. I love it. And every once in a while, I, I come across these freaks of nature like you who come out of nowhere, left field with no experience in the industry, open their first concept and just knock it out of the park and have had continued success ever since. And it blows my mind that people are able to pull us off with no experience, which just kind of goes <laughs> to show um, you can, no matter where you come from, no matter what your background is, you can pull it off. Uh, but before we dive into how you pulled it off, kind of like set myself and my listeners up with the backstory, who Thomas Wynn is and kind of what set you up prior to getting into the restaurant industry. Oh, uh, cool. So, I mean, for me, uh, you know, I'm Asian American and I, it's a, you know, it's a stereotype, but you know, when I was younger, you know, my parents, uh, they had a very difficult time immigrating from Vietnam after the war to the U S. And so, you know, my parents, uh, sacrificed everything that they had to give me a chance in this country. And so, you know, for them, they wanted me to uh, take, I wouldn't say the easiest path, but a path that, you know, has safe been proven path. a safe path. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, very safe path, which was, you know, doctor, engineer, lawyer. And and I'm not going to put it all on them. I didn't, I mean, I'm like everybody else. How do you know what you want to do when you're 18? I, I mean, know, I, yeah, I, I did it. So, you know, being a lawyer, it sounded good at the time. And I worked my ass off to, to get to that point. Uh, I was privileged to be able to get into UT and, and have that experience. But, um I was miserable, man. I, mm. You know, I think it took me a long time to realize that, you know, I have more of a creative mind. I have, you know, I'm more of a people person. I don't, <clears throat> you know, getting into law school, those topics didn't interest me. I, try, I bounced around different things, doing tax, immigration, finally litigation. And, you know, a lot of people would enjoy that. But just for me, with my, how my personality is, I, I just didn't get. I wasn't motivated ever. Yeah. And I dreaded going to work every day. I counted the the minutes until I could leave. It was hyper stressful and I didn't feel, I mean, I didn't get any pleasure out of it whatsoever. So, um, you know, for me, I was lucky to meet Chef Paul and have an opportunity to kind of reset. But, you know, I, I took the long way. I mean, a lot of people look at, oh, you know, you, you know you're so lucky you went from a lawyer to restaurateur. But, man, there's a whole lot of dark years in between. There's a whole lot of years of making nothing. There's a whole lot of years of eating humble pie every day, you know, while your friends are buying nice cars and homes and, and doing this. I feel like I took 20 steps back, you know, yeah. and I, 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 um, I, you know, I'm still paying for my law degree. Uh, I started life over at 27. So it's been a long, yeah, long man. journey. It's, I can really, <laughs> I can resonate with your story because I, uh, I, I have a background in aviation. I, I graduated oh, wow. and I became a commercial pilot. In the same story, I realized I was there and I, I had completed everything I was going. I needed to complete, and I was like, "I'm not in the right lane. Like this isn't right for me. Like right. I'm not happy. I'm not even good at this. Like why am I doing this? Like right. I'm just like you. Like I, I'm meant to be around people. I'm meant to create. And it's tough to to to, to you know swallow that pill and to like completely course correct in your mid twenties or you, how old were you when you when you did your course correct in two thousand nine. Uh, I was, well, let me see, 2000, that's, that's, uh, 10 years ago. So I was 33. Okay. Yeah. Late, late. Yeah, man. It's hard. It's hard. Right. Uh, so how'd you find the will? How, what was that conversation like <laughs> internally to, to be on this path? I mean, your parents, I'm assuming your parents probably helped you with college. A lot of the money they invested in you. Yeah. They, to, they didn't. I mean, they couldn't, I mean, they tried to, okay. and my parents didn't have a lot of money. And uh, so I took, 
I mean, I took on all all oh, loans wow. because I wanted to be responsible. You know, they tried to my freshman year and they were suffering and I couldn't put that, I couldn't live with myself with that. So but I told them, I'm just going to take a bunch of loans and get yeah. through it. But you did point out earlier that they, they did sacrifice. Oh, absolutely. You are. So they, they had all the sacrifice to, to set you up for a life of success. What was that like to, to course correct and to, to have to break the news to your parents that like after all this hard work that you put in, that they put in, that you're going to take a really big risk in breaking into the hospitality industry. I, I, I didn't really have a, a plan when I did that. I, I just knew what I didn't want to do anymore. Uh, it was, it was three years of suffering yeah. and I was so unhappy. Yeah. And so I had to do something yeah. and I, f- I felt bad for them. I didn't have an explanation to them. They, they were so ups- angry for a while and I don't blame them. And, and I hear, I hear it from them every day. And again, I, I can't blame to them. To this day? Even with uh, the success <clears throat> happening? Or they're kind of like, oh, I, mean, maybe I was wrong. It's, it's, <laughs> it, it took about, um, I mean, they've started coming around the last couple of years. Okay. Uh, my mom is, is not a risk taker. Mm-hmm. Um, she's known of a lot of friends that got into the restaurant industry that failed. So mm-hmm. for, for her to, to it, it was hard for her to grasp, you know, how I worked so hard to become a lawyer. Now I'm throwing it away and I'm getting into an industry in which I never even worked before. Yeah. So it didn't make sense. So it didn't make sense to a lot of people. All right. <laughs> <laughs> but you pulled it off and we're going to get into it. And one, one message to anybody who's younger, uh, who's listening to us, who maybe might be in high school or hasn't gone to college yet, but feels the pressure to go to college. All if right. you don't know exactly what you want to do, don't waste the mm. money. Go out there, get experiences, try things, go, go work for free at wherever it is you wanted to. Absolutely. Whatever path you you're thinking about just go get some experience see if you like it and get that experience find out what you're good at and figure yourself out because you don't want to be locked in once you start paying those school loans it's you know you get those liabilities and you you don't have the same freedom that you you lose all that freedom to get out there absolutely i have a i mean i have a really negative view of how colleges are now i mean you can't i went to college (laughs) i was a freshman in college in 1994 and back then you could technically afford to dream you know, because tuition wasn't nearly as high as nope. it is now. I mean, now uh, if you can't afford to. I mean, it, it's so expensive. So if to start college and then not know what you want to do and then, oh, you know, p- potentially hundreds of thousands of dollars, it doesn't make sense. Uh, I don't think they the colleges do a good job of advising you as well. People don't understand the economics behind the degree plan that they have oftentimes. And yeah. so, you know, you're having people spend a hundred grand to make salary of 30 grand. Yeah. Right? I mean, especially in the restaurant industry. Right. You know, it's, it's absurd. Uh, I think we could probably spend a whole nother episode talking about that. Uh, but let's bring it to the point where you decide, when did you know for certain that you were done with law? Like when did you, when did you make that, that pivot? Take us to that, to that pivot and how you started living intentionally. Did you even have a plan? Did you know you were going to go straight in? Okay. Okay. Take it from there. I didn't have a plan. I, you know, I worked with a friend, uh, to, I knew what I really liked was marketing, branding, and PR. I had start helped start an Asian interest fraternity at UT, um, and I loved it. And I loved it because it allowed me to help create something new. Um, and I was our social chair. I threw parties. And I'm like, well, it's not like I'm going to make money doing this. But what I did love about it was the marketing and promotional aspect of it. Spreading um, the word about the party you're going to Brand development. <laughs> yeah. it, that stuff was, it was fascinating to me. Um, what about it fascinated you? Man, um, how uh, all things being equal, how a company could establish a relationship with someone merely from how they represent themselves in in the media or or in a platform, right? You know, like I always like I always like to take like Nike for example. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, you know, the fabric it's not anything that a hundred other companies are doing. Like if you buy a pair of Nike shorts, it's no different than 
20 other companies. The main difference is their logo that they put on it and, and how they got people to the point where they prefer that over Reebok or over another brand or, yeah. or, or even over a, no brand, right? I mean, I'm a product of that. I, there was a period of time when I would not want to, I know this sounds terrible, but I wouldn't want to wear anything that wasn't Under Armour or Nike. You know, they just terrible. I mean, it's it's just the way we're hardwired. Like it's psychographics. We want to align our personal brands Mm -hmm. with other successful brands, whatever those brands say about me, right? And that's why branding is so like carries so much weight because of how we want to look in the eye of other people, right? Right. Uh, Do you want to dive into that at all? No, I mean that's no, it's exactly right. I mean, when we started our fraternity, it's the same thing. You know, how do we? What do we do to attract the, the kind of guys that we're looking for that believe in the mission statement that we created? You know, how does that look to the public? And, and that was fascinating to me. I, I wish I was able to take classes on it. But what was your biggest lesson during this time in, in, in creating this, uh, this, this uh, fraternity? Um, that whatever you represent, ultimately you have to back up. Whatever you, know. you represent, ultimately, you have to back up. Sounds right. like the word integrity. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. If I tell you this is what I am, A, B, and C, then you know the person hears about it. They see it. They believe it. But, but if you don't produce it, then you lose that credibility, right? Yeah. So um, I think like like attracts like, right? right? So if you want to attract a certain type, you got to be that type and they right. will come on to you. What, did I cut you short? Were you about to say something? No, no, no. That's exactly right. I mean, practice what you preach, right? Mm. And, and that's, that's easier said than done. I mean, it's... You know, for for us, like we have to understand, like who who do we want to attract? Who are we, um, and how do we make sure that we follow through on that kind of representation, right? So, I mean, that's what we do now as a restaurant, right? We represent something to the public that makes them want to come eat at our restaurant, and when they do that, how do I make sure that I come through on that promise? So that they'll keep coming back, and that's a that's an everyday question. Mm-hmm. That's I don't know if you can continue to solve that because, you know, people's tastes uh, keep evolving. The marketplace keeps becoming more competitive. Uh, what worked ten years ago doesn't work anymore, mm-hmm. and so um, you know that's a it's a it's a difficult thing to, especially in the restaurant industry. Everyone goes through it. It's a very tough thing. Uh, so when did you make the decision that law, the legal path, wasn't right for you? Because you started, you co-founded. Uh, Pelly Pelly in 2009. How mm-hmm. much time elapsed from you getting off this one track and starting a new track? Probably about two or three years. I mean, I had a, had uh, a couple of years of just darkness, you know, like where not only you know, people used to see me as a lawyer and now I'm not, now I'm not even making that money and now I don't even know what I'm doing. What were you doing at that time? Um, I was helping out uh, a friend uh, do marketing and branding for his technology company and um, kind of learning if this is what I wanted to do. Right. And um, and ultimately, that's how I met Chef Paul. OK. But you also was you know, maybe now's a good time to start talking about your business partners because uh, you have Paul and Michael, uh, Paul Freeman and Michael Tran. Am I saying that correctly? Mm-hmm. Uh, Michael was a college friend. Yeah. Right. So take, take us through the dynamics of this this trio coming together. Uh, Michael was a college friend. We we're in the same fraternity together. And I think he realized what I was good at. And that's what he was pushing. Like, Hey, I think you like marketing and branding and PR. You're really good at it for the fraternity. I think you should try to do this as a, as a living. And, and, you know, kind of, I never thought about that. And so it was for me, I'm like, how, you know, it goes to, you know, it took me 10 years to figure out that, man, 
you can't be good at what you do unless you have a passion for it. Mm. And for me, you know, I, I've never taken a class in marketing and I'm, I'm not saying that, but like, ha, I've never taken a class. I wish I could, you know, I, I, I want to now I'm always learning. Um, but unfortunately I wasn't able to take a class in marketing, branding or PR. I've never worked in a restaurant before. So everything I know is from touch. It's, it's from doing, it's from the experiences I've garnered and, you know, I've learned everything I know from, from chef Paul in terms of the restaurant industry and, I was the GM of our first location, even though I didn't have any experience. What was that like, man? I can't uh, chaos. Yeah, you know, I feel bad for some. You maybe, know. <laughs> maybe we'll get there when we take the chronological approach. We can tap into it. But uh, how did this opportunity even come to you? Because if my research serves me well, Michael was in uh, construction. Is that what he was doing? He was before? in technology, technology. Uh, restaurant technology. Okay, so was he working? Were you, was this the, the tech company that you went to work for? Mm-hmm. So you were working in branding and technology for the restaurant industry mm-hmm. with Mike. Okay, got you. What was the technology? I'm curious. Uh, POS, point okay. of sale. Which, which POS was it? He, it, it well, he was a reseller of Aldello and Dinerware. Okay, got you, got you. So um, what was what was his vision? Like, take us to what was going through Michael's mind at this time. Uh, I mean, he wanted to be an entrepreneur. And so, uh, you know, through he provided the POS for uh, Paul's, one of his pizza shops. And okay. that's how I met Paul. Okay. So it's just destiny that I was able to meet Paul and kind of get this thing started. So, so take us through that 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 connection. How, what was your first impression? Take us through what, the, what uh, that was like when you guys first came together. When I met, uh, when I made, ate at Paul's Pizza Restaurant, I remember saying that, uh, man, if I ever did a restaurant, it would be with this guy. This is like two thousand four, two thousand five, and you know Paul was doing stuffed crust pizza. He was doing like flavored crust he, w- he was doing things that i mean everyone does it now but not everyone did it back then and his kitchen was immaculate um he you could see the passion and and just i mean it's pizza right i was thinking it's, it's a pizza shop but you know what paul did to it, it made his concept stand out from the food to like seeing his passion so that was like my first like wow this this guy looks really happy. He's super into like what he's doing. And, and I remember I literally had a, like a thought in my mind, like, man, if I ever do a restaurant, I want it to be with him. You know, little did I know that, um, he had always wanted to do a second chance at doing South African. Okay. So did he try to open a South African? What happened the first time? Do you any lessons from that? Yes. Uh, he opened in 1980 when he came here to the U S and I think it didn't work for a variety of reasons. I think the main one was, him not understanding the marketplace at the time, not understanding the the palate uh, of his consumer at the time. Um, there was, a, I think, our society was a whole lot different oh, back yeah. then. Um, I think apartheid was still, you know, prevalent, and so a whole host of different things that ultimately had him change and, and end up doing pizza, right? Okay. But uh, but that thought stayed with him. I mean, he's a very proud South African and. You know, South African cuisine has been literally unexplored for the most part for a while. Uh, there's probably a handful of South African restaurants in the U.S. when we opened in 2009, um, most mostly in Atlanta, New York, and and, and uh, Disneyland. And you know, Paul was, you know, having been here 30 years almost at that time, he said, "Man, I know, I think I know what the American public will appreciate." I think. I've always, there's so much about South African cuisine because it's made up of so many different cultures and people. Like, I think, I think the public would really appreciate this if we do it right. And, and, you know, for me, luckily he, he leaned on, he needed to understand, like, how do we market this properly? And not that I had the answer right then and there, but I had that 
that kind of triggered a, a thing in me and saying, man, I want to, I want to help you. Like, I, like I want to do this. Like, I think I can figure this out because it's fascinating to me. Like, I, and I, and I thought of it 24 seven, like, how do we, how do you market, um, a concept that doesn't exist? Like, and then that, I mean, for me, it just started, my, my, my mind started just working, working, working. And, and ultimately I convinced Paul that, you know, I could f- figure it out. And I think, you know, he was like, well, this guy has no experience whatsoever, but I think he could see like your passion, uh, my passion. And like, man, I, like I'll figure this out. I promise. Yeah. You know? So you said you thought you figured it out. What did that look like? What back then? Is it, is it, is it anywhere near to what you guys became or was it completely different back it's, then to what it is now? It's, it's completely different. Okay. It's, it's, it's evolved over the years for yeah. sure. I mean, I think when we first started it, um, you know, people had no interest and we had, there were no reviews when we opened. There's no, you know, we didn't have money to do a cool website. And I mean, there wasn't, there's only, there wasn't anything. Yeah. Right? I think this is a good point to, to, to tap the brakes and thank our sponsors. We'll be right back to kind of pick up and, and how you guys made it, pulled it off and, and, and brought it into fruition. One second, we'll be right back. Cool. So Revel Systems is a complete POS built to help grow your expanding business. I stand by Revel and I could tell you why it's so great, but I'd rather get my man Colton Schultz, who's with Grain Junction Subs in the Craft Cave to tell you why he loves Revel. We have been working with Revel for several years, who has partnered with us to streamline our operations. We have implemented delivery management, employee management, sales reporting, kitchen display screens, and so much more. We also utilize mobile order takers and kitchen display systems that are extremely customizable. Nice. So if there's just one thing that you love the most about Revel Systems, what would it be? It's definitely their vast reporting abilities on the back end. We utilize a lot of the reports such as speed of service, taxes, sales reports, labor reports. It's all there to help you run your business. Beautiful. Guys, and if you're listening to this, Revel works with businesses that are looking to implement cutting-edge technology that helps increase revenue, improve efficiencies, and enhance experience of their employees and their customers. To learn more, head over to revelsystems.com slash unstoppable. All right, we're back, and you were just about to get into the story of how you pulled this off with a, a small budget and, and the vision that you had created. So let's start with that, that, that vision. What was your original vision? What did you think it was going to look like? You know, our original vision was very simple, how, how to get people to try South African cuisine. And, and that was something that, you know, we didn't, I didn't have a full understanding of the importance of brand development at that point. I just wanted to get people to try our food. And we did a very poor job of explaining why. Okay, you know. and this is actually uh, this. I'm happy I asked this question because I, I think a lot of people who are trying different things, foreign foods, foods that aren't really uh, well represented in a certain geographic, and it's strange. How do you present that? What, what did you learn the hard way? Uh, we we you have to explain and connect the dots for people. How do you right? do that? Uh, you know, really building an ecosystem instead of just saying, "Hey, like." come eat South African, I have to give them many reasons why and I have to build an ecosystem that supports that. So to, to answer your question, ultimately that, that ends up being like extremely high reviews. It ends up being, you know, winning food competitions. It ends up being, you know, doing things for the community. It ends up uh, making sure that when they come in, we give them an experience they haven't had before. So, you know, good food, good service. But then outside of that, like giving them other reasons we spend a lot of money on how our restaurant looks we want to make sure that people when they come in our food looks instagrammable our venue looks instagrammable and they have we give them a reason to want to spend their their hard-earned money 
want to celebrate their anniversaries, their proposals, their, their birthdays, like I have to give them a reason why. I can't just say, hey, you know, come spend your birthday here or, you know, you work really hard all week, come spend some of that money. I have to tell them why. Why? And, what was the reason? What, what was the reason that you gave them? How, what was that why? I mean, ultimately, all the things that I mentioned. I mean, we spent a lot of time uh, getting accolades. We, Chef Paul, we had him compete. We still do to this day. We, we compete in almost so every like create, competition. You got to hype. You got to create some hype. You need to, hype and yeah. credibility, really. So it sounds like you got to create the, the feeling of missing out. You got to create the, the FOMO, I think is what they call it, right? <laughs> the fear of missing out. And you do that by getting those, those great reviews. Getting people, did, you, did you ask? How did you get those reviews? Did you ask for them or did that's, people just do it? That's always tough. I mean, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a bit tacky to ask, you know, it's almost, it, you always say it's like dating, right? If I have to ask for a, a second date, it's probably not going to happen. Yeah. Right? And so I have to, you have to make sure that you give them everything that they need so that they actually want to write a review. Yeah. You well, know? yeah. You know, you, I think also to people will give you the review in person. They'll tell you straight right. up like, this is amazing. Like, I love it. And I love how you do this. And I love how you did that. And if that person's an influencer, be like, Hey, like we appreciate you taking the time to tell us this but if you really want to support us can you please write a review Absolutely. i mean and you're making it up like it's they gave you the review you just you're just saying hey like this would really help us like put this in writing and then if you if you break i feel like if you, if you start with those initial good views people are like you know they're like hurt cattle they you know they follow the herd right uh and if you can get that momentum going early on uh, with by maybe even asking, I mean, I don't want to put words into your mouth. Are you agreeing or disagreeing with what I'm saying? Right uh, now? I mean, for us, I think what ended up happening in the beginning is people didn't want us to go out of business, mm. you know. And so, you know, the few customers that we had, they were like, "Man, we love you guys, and we see that you're not that busy." Uh, and it was like that for a long time. And so, I think our our customer base, like me and Paul, were there every day, and so we got to know them, and they got to know us, and they wanted to fight for us. They wanted. They submitted us for awards in the in the city when we were barely ma- we weren't even making money, mm. you know. But our our customer base loved us so much and didn't want us to go out of business. And that was that for me was one of the biggest marketing lessons um, that I learned early on. Was like, and, and it was actually a blessing that we didn't have any money, you know, uh, because I think if I had a lot of money, I don't know if we'd be here because I I would have taken the easy way and I just would have posted ads and and done different things. But again, that wouldn't have told people why. I think the customers that came into Vintage Park in the beginning, they got to know myself and Paul. They got to understand like why we're doing this restaurant. They saw how hard we worked. They they saw the blood, sweat, and tears that we put into the restaurant. And I think that stays with people. Yeah. So I was going to ask you what it was that they loved. And it sounds like just the, the, the hustle, the determination, the, the desire to please the, the desire to do a good job and to work hard and to, to earn this thing. People saw that and that became like we talked about earlier, that became your brand because you are, you got to be what you say you are. And Mm -hmm. when you're hustling and, and, and and working hard and and taking care of your people, they're going to recognize this. And when you take care of people, they're going to take care of you. They're going, they're going to want to reciprocate somehow somehow some way so how were you developing these relationships take us to what those relationships looked like and how you showed people you cared can you get can you get specific um i mean for me it just i was there every day and so i was able to literally say hi and bye to every single person that came into the store and you know at the end of the day especially in houston or any city austin for that matter I mean, there's thousands and thousands of restaurants there's, and so many great restaurants and they have great food and great service. But ultimately, 
I think what a lot of people value is how you make them feel, mm. right? And so, you know, for us, like that was another lesson learned is we thought in the beginning, like, hey, if the food is good and the service is good, they'll come back. That's not necessarily the case because if your food is great and your service is good, but you're not making them feel valued or noticed or seen when they come into your restaurant, then then you're going to lose them, right? And so we were, we were good at that because... Paul and I happened to be there all the time. And so we'd see people. And, and for me, just to keep my sanity, like I, I had to talk to, I wanted to talk to people. And like we had more than just the surface level questions, right? Like people knew my dog's name. They knew when I was getting married. I mean, we got very personal and they got to know me as like Thomas, not just as the GM. Right? Yeah, well, so, that's what it should be. I mean, right. we, we've gotten we've gotten so far away from what real relationships are that when we make a real relationship, it seems special. But I right. mean, we need that's what that's what it should be. It should be transformative. It should be mm-hmm. to that point where you know when you know about your people that I mean that shows that they care that you're willing to to absorb this information and remember it right that right. shows that you care and I was I was going to ask you how did you create this sense of value the sense of being seen and the sense of being noticed like how did you have a, a technique or was it, what, what was that approach uh, not really i mean i think we again it just be it, like our our employees are going to do the same thing that we do and so we wanted you know, we knew that as we grow, it can't just be about me and Paul. So we wanted our managers to stand out. We wanted our servers to stand out. Like, shine. We want you to shine. Get to know them. Tell them your name. Like, establish relationships. It can't just be the two of us, right? Because ultimately, I mean, me and Paul can only meet so many people in a day. I want our GMs to shine. I want people to go there because our GM treats them a certain way. I want them to go there because we have a, a certain bartender that makes them makes their day a little bit better when they're coming to get, get a drink. Right? So how did you build this team? How did you, how did you create this, uh, this circle of people around you that had those same values of caring for their guests? Like what, were you, what was your approach to doing that? Um, I think, you know, just, I mean, w- trying to walk the walk the best we can. We have a lot of employees, like all, almost all of our GMs and managers are former servers. You know, we've provided opportunities to them. I think they've seen kind of what we care about over the years. Um, and how we treat them and kind of like how we want the customers to be treated. And that's a difficult thing. We used to, I mean, I'd be lying if I didn't say that we went through same cycles every other restaurant goes in. And, you know, you're always worried about your employees. I mean, your the customers first. Customers always right. And, you, you know, end up treating your, your staff pretty shitty. And we went through that. Mm-hmm. I mean, no doubt. And and what, it, When did you get away from that? What what mm-hmm. What... What did you experience to get you off that track? How long did it take you to get off that track? When we realized that we were going to have to grow. When was you know? that? Like uh, 2000... 2013. 13? Okay. Mm-hmm. So w- how did realizing you wanted to grow change that? I don't understand. Well, because, you know, Paul and I were there every day. We were like, you know, yelling at people, just being not the nicest people to work for. And we realized that if we're going to grow, we can't grow with that attitude. And we had to look in the mirror and say, man, we got to change. You was know? there like one incident that happened that helped you realize this? Like, was, I was there a last straw? It was, Paul and I were just getting so burnt out and because we felt we took on all the responsibility. We didn't trust anyone. We And, it, and I was at the point where I, I didn't know if I could do it anymore. And... Three years uh, in. Three years in. Or two or sorry, yeah. uh, four years in. Three or four years yeah. in. And uh, eventually we, we forced ourselves to get out of the restaurant. And and in our minds we're thinking, if we're not in the restaurant, this place is going to burn down. And it didn't. you know. Uh, and we realized that, man, we actually have a lot of people that care about 
Peli Peli that that want to be here, but we've done a pretty shitty job of not empowering them. And if we want to grow, um, Paul and I can't be at multiple locations forever. I mean, we have to kind of start empowering people and, and, and giving them opportunities and trusting in them. And, and that took a long time. I made a note because I want to come back to that, but I, I feel like I want to also stay chronological because I, I believe we can probably pull a lot of lessons from being so scrappy in the early days and having the, the small budget. And you said one of your strengths is that guerrilla marketing and getting out there, doing the PR, doing the market, developing the brand. Um, so I want to get into that, but I also feel like there's something that we need to point out and I want to bring it to the surface. And that is you had zero restaurant experience mm-hmm. going into this restaurant. Uh, you had a friend, aside from kind of understanding the market, working with POS companies and doing the branding and marketing for a POS company. Uh, but you can become a person. If you, if you are good at something, what you can use that, that value to attract onto yourself, the people that have the other experience that, have what it takes to open a restaurant for you. I mean, you used your, your desire, your passion, your skill for marketing to attract onto yourself. Paul, um, do you want to get into like attracting using your skill set, your value to attract on other people as assets to, to, to pull the, the team together? Any advice for doing that? I mean, for me, I, I hadn't taken any marketing classes, but ultimately what it boils down to in our space is how to make someone happy enough to want to come back. And that's, that's a, a simple but difficult question to execute, right? Yeah. And I mean, for me, I, I didn't know how, but I knew that the minute someone walks in, I got to do whatever it took to make sure that when they leave, they're happy. And that's, it's a sometimes hard process. Sometimes it's easy. Um, but for me, like, I think if you boil it down to that, then you can start building around that your marketing strategy, things that you have to provide for the restaurant. And you understand like the difference of, what equates to a three-star, to a four-star, to a five-star review, right? And then you start kind of breaking that down. And it's not, I mean, it's not rocket science, right? Execution is where it gets difficult. Okay. So you said you, you, had, you had to learn how to bring people back a second or third time. What did you learn about how to get them back? What were the tricks that you were leveraging to get them to come back? Aside from just doing a really good job and, and taking an interest in them, how did you get them to come back? I think uh, being a little bit more transparent with who we are. You know, allowing them to get to know us a little bit. So give me an example of how you'd let them, how much would you give them initially to get them to get to know you? I think maybe, I don't even know if it was intentional, but I think in the beginning, Paul and I were just completely open with what was going on. I think a lot of people kind of just represent like, we're successful, we're awesome, we're awesome. And we were like, we'd like to be awesome, but we're not right now. (laughs) You know, this is what we're going through. And I think... You know, people saw the struggles. Our customers saw the struggles. But, you know, again, they saw how hard we worked and they they saw that we wanted to build something and they wanted to be part of that. You know, and so for us in the beginning, that was that is what kind of ended up getting the momentum because people felt like they wanted to root for us. That we were we were the underdog and we weren't they knew we we weren't trying to represent something different. We're like, guys, we just we have a dream. We're just trying to execute. We're having a hard time. Okay, You know, and people are just like, you know what? I like that. I want to help you. Just you know, the power of like just transparency and right, ability, right? Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, just for them, they're like, man, you guys, I mean, you're not like other restaurants. Like, I, I feel like I know you and I feel like you're, sh- you're sharing the good and the bad. And I can get behind that because I, I, that's authentic, right? Like, I, it's actually, it's real. And, and that stays with people, right? Yeah. That's not like marketing. It's actually like legitimate relationship building. I love it, man. Uh, so are there any other like 
secrets or things you were doing as far as PR goes um, in developing the brand? Because you said that you were really scrappy early on, and if you didn't, if you had the money, you would have just bought ads. You would have taken the path of least resistance. Right. But you had to go, you, the, you know, you had to go through like the object. As I, the, I can't remember the, the author of that book, but you took you took the path of most resistance, right? And you, what, what does aside from developing the relationships and getting raw and open with your guests, what what does that guerrilla marketing look like? What were the things that you were doing to get the brand out there? I mean, I think the main thing is going back to the Nike example. Like, I, I want people, my goal is when people look at Peli Peli and they see our name or even hear about us, it makes them feel a certain way. How do I accomplish that? And again, I have to, you have to kind of analyze it and back it up, right? Like, for us, I, I hope that when people look at Peli Peli, they, they think that, you know, Peli Peli makes me feel included. You know, Peli Peli represents the unrepresented. You know, it's an inclusive diverse melting pot of different peoples and cultures and and ultimately that's what i want if you go to our restaurants on any given night it's it's everybody Mm. it's an 18 year old kid it's you know african-american it's asia there's always people of all ethnicities and 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 social economic levels and ages and i think our branding to an extent has worked because of that you know we 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 make people feel like this is the place to go if you want to feel included. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's a melting pot of food, but it's also a melting pot of people coming together because it's, right. it's equally strange to everybody. Mm-hmm. So you have that in common. I love that. Um, so, uh, progressing forward, did you, did you start to see the, your, 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 your sweat equity paying off? Like when did, when did the, the ball really start to pick up momentum and when did you really start to develop a brand and people started like, uh, spreading the word more and more and like take us through that evolution of when things started to get better um I, probably after the fourth year um, okay we started so it know, took four years of just years. of just developing relationships in and and just seeing it and acknowledging your guests over and over again wow four that, years four years and finally getting like detraction on reviews i think that's when we uh, we hit we were number one on TripAdvisor in the city of houston for a period of time we also got our first legitimate food uh uh victory at the Woodlands Wine and Food Week, uh, Paul's Babuti was a grand champion winner that year, 2013. What years. happened after that, that championship? Um, you know, I think people just started taking notice and saying, oh, I've heard of that place, but um, it's not just a, a cute little South African restaurant. Actually, the food is legitimate good. And, um, you know, people started driving from Sugarland to Vintage Park. They, should, they would drive from Clear Lake to Vintage Park and, and because they said, man, your cuisine is so unique. I've never had anything like it. Obviously, with these reviews now and these these awards, it has to be good. Mm-hmm. And that's when things started to change for us a little bit. You yeah. know, we started getting more exposure and, you know, people started. I mean, I think our sales dramatically went up by the fourth year. And, and after we started getting and people could now go online and look at Yelp. They could look at TripAdvisor and say, who who the hell is number one? I've never even heard of them before. Yeah. Um, and go on Google and, and Google us and see all these assets and start seeing these competitions that we're winning. Um, and then, you know, that, that, that traction allowed us to think like, wow, we can really expand this thing. Yeah. So any other key lessons in the early days from years one to four, uh, that really stood out to you before we start talking about scaling and how you transitioned yourself out of the business to, to work on other projects. I always tell all every business owner, the number one marketing asset that you have is not the restaurant it's you. Mm. And a lot of people don't realize that, you know, they'll hire PR firms and they'll do this and they'll, they'll have people speak for them. And I'm like, ultimately, man, what people want to know is who's driving this engine. Mm -hmm. You know, who are the people behind this? Mm. And, 
if if you can allow them into your world a little bit that relationship it, it never goes away mm. you know uh and and i think the mistake that a lot of business owners make is they they make their restaurant the marketing asset or they make you know their pr agent or you know different things like that people really it's hard for people to build a connection with that because if if your marketing asset is just your restaurant well guess what there's like a hundred you know thousand other restaurants but it's harder to place uh, that person and that relationship that people make with you and so we learned early on that man people aren't really rooting for Pelly Pelly. they're rooting for thomas they're rooting for paul um because they know us I love it, man. So you mentioned earlier uh, that you were kind of like you, you guys kind of had the, the command and control uh, leadership style where it was like you at the helm uh, getting mad at people and not really empowering people and maybe not developing that level of trust that needed to exist for you guys to go and scale. Um, how did you make that transition uh, from from being in the restaurant almost at the edge of burning out to realizing that we need to recreate ourselves in these people and create opportunity in that? I don't want to put the words in your mouth. Uh, Take it from there. I mean, if we're going to expand at that point, we're thinking about doing our second location, which ultimately we did at the Galleria in 2015. But how do we build it, uh, an environment and a culture where people care about what they're doing at work? And that's hard, you know, especially, I mean, Paul and I had to do a 180 and start changing how we did things and to, to empower people and to make them take feel like they want to take ownership and that they care about the customers that come into our restaurant when Paul and I are not there. That's tough, you know, and it took a long time. So it sounds like the first step you said was you had to develop the culture. Um, so where, where was the culture? Did you guys like take a couple set steps back and say, Hey, we need to develop this culture. And, and what did that development look like? Um, I mean, the culture is pretty shitty. I mean, it was just like everybody else at that time. I mean, we were, paint we, that picture of shitty, uh, you know, I mean, I think we were so stressed for so long because we didn't know if the restaurant could make it that we were taking it out on our staff and certainly not empowering them and not making them take ownership. Uh, we felt like we were just micromanaging to death. Um, and and it wasn't a culture of uh, inspiration, you know, certainly not a culture of um, making people feel like they want to take care of these customers, right? And so um, it, was, it was a very difficult transition for us. So what was the first step? How did you make that transition happen? We had to acknowledge how we, what we were doing and that it was, wasn't working. Okay. You know, we had to tell them, guys, it's not working. <laughs> we got to change this because we're not, we're not being fair to you and mm. we're not giving you opportunities. And I think, I think the, the key thing is there, when you do acknowledge it, you have to make sure that you're not telling them what they're doing wrong. You say, right. we're, no. we're not doing it right. right. And, and taking that blame and, and absorbing that, that, that blow. So the, the blame is off them. What right. would happen if you just started blaming them? I mean, we probably were blaming them up <laughs> to that point. And that's why they were like, well, that's, that's not, I mean, just like in any relationship, if you don't, it's always a two way street, right? If, if, if I'm always blaming and not taking responsibility, then I lose credibility. Mm -hmm. People don't want to trust in that, you know? Mm -hmm. So, so once you took the blame and you started making strides to really cement your culture, what did that look like? Uh, it was amazing. I mean, we had a lot, we had a great team already and just giving them more responsibilities, more opportunities and supporting them. Um, it was a game changing for us. You know, it, it allowed us to not have to be there 24 seven or feel like it. 
and still get the same, if not better results now, because now people are encouraged. They want to be there. They're happy. And that happiness translates down to our staff. I mean, to our customers. So were you promotion? Were you promoting people? Were you actually putting, uh, yes. you were the GM. So were you actually putting people into your role? Did you hide? Did you replace yourself with the actual? I did. What, what did the, how did you know who to, to pick? What would uh, that even look like? I mean, we had so much good staff. I mean, two guys I remember back then was uh, Scott Bickle and, and uh, Mike DeVolta. I mean, uh, they were uh, going to school. They were bartenders there, but they were like my right hand guys. And ultimately, it made sense to to promote them to manager, to assistant manager, ultimately GM. And they they understood what I wanted for the restaurant, and they were able to implement that. And I was the one holding them back. You so know? From, from the time you you turned your culture around, you started replacing yourself. How much time elapsed from from that 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 time of making these changes to actually opening the second location? Uh, I mean, a good, good couple of years. Okay. I mean, this is, that was 2013 and we didn't open Galleria until 2015. So, so what were you doing to prepare yourself your, in your, your team for these changes? What did that look like? Um, walking the walk consistently, you know, uh, you know, consistently finding, giving these guys opportunities, people that identifying people that were working really hard, figuring out what they wanted to do and, and helping them get to that point. Even if it meant not being with Peli Peli. You know, mm-hmm. some of our best, all you know, some of our best success stories are people that are no longer with us, and and we we started changing the culture to where we were like, you know what, you don't have to be at Peli Peli forever. Like while you're here, I'm gonna help you make you a better person. Yeah, and I think you know that that kind of shift in thought was was a game changer for and, us. You know, I think that that mentality of of thinking that people are going to spend their entire careers with you, their lives right. with you as employees is so selfish because right. ultimately we want people to scale and go on and do their own right. thing. Right? right. And not everybody's cut out to be an entrepreneur, but at least help them get to the next level because if they're capping off at an hourly employee for the rest of their life, are they really growing personally too? Yep. You know, and have that, I, mean, I say like the, the most successful restaurateurs almost push their, their best people out because they, they, they don't, because it's about the people, not about my, my, my success as a restaurant right. but but their success. I love it, man. Um, what else did you guys do to, to, to scale to that point of being able to open to your second location? Uh, I mean, you know, building the systems in place to, um, you know, execute the things that we were doing at Vintage. How do we, how do we essentially double what we were doing and putting it in the gallery? So where were, right. where were your systems at location number one? Were they I mean, non-existent yet? for a while. Okay. <laughs> so th- let's get into that. How do you go from non-existent systems? What was that approach? When did you even know that you needed systems? Uh, I mean, when we realized that Paul and I can't do this by ourselves. Okay. So you know, we had to build a team. So uh, and, and that was a, a hard lesson to learn, too. Okay. So what was that process of developing your systems? How did you even tackle that? Uh, I mean, little by little. You know, we, we identified people that had a passion for different elements that we wanted in the restaurant, whether, whether it be HR, whether it be finance, whether it be marketing, it was, and, or whether it be store-level management. You know, it, it was finally like giving people opportunities to kind of build, grow with us. Yeah. So when we opened the Galleria, we had a great team. You know, and it was people that had been with us for many years. And how were you finding out if they had these interests? Were you going on asking or was it just being perceptive to Man, what they were doing? Uh both. I mean, it's it's actually taking the time to ask people what do you what do you want? And actually taking the time to notice them. That's mm-hmm. you know, instead of just looking at them as a transactional employee, right? Mm-hmm. You wanna kinda take a look at, you know, um I mean that girl over there, Heather, one of our greatest success stories too, she started as a server um, and now she's in our corporate office. Um, Heather, we're talking about you. 
she she was my right hand for a long time. Uh, at one point, I had to do the scheduling. I had to do er- payroll, everything, and, and she alleviated some of that stress. And it was my fault for not identifying her skill set earlier on. You know, mm-hmm. um, just getting caught up in the grind and, and actually looking at all of our employees and starting to identify like, hey, maybe we should sit down with that person and, and see what how they're feeling and what they want to do. How did you not let your ego get in the way of letting these other people take control? In the back of your mind, were you thinking I'm better at this than you or were you thinking maybe I'm not as good? Like what was going, what was that conversation in your head looking like? Uh, and then that's the shift. I, I think for a while, Paul and I were thinking, well, how can these people help? We know better than them. And ultimately, that's the wrong approach. You know, and and and. and it has to change to where, you know what, I actually need people that know more than me, mm. you know. Uh, and I know it's an obvious thing, but it wasn't for us, and it took us a while to get to that point. Mm-hmm. I mean, now uh, when we hire, like, I want everyone to know more about the restaurant industry than I do. Why wouldn't I? Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, so we're still talking about the, the first location. This is between 2009 and 2014. You've since opened four additional locations with a, a new one on the way to open this spring. Um what what was the opportunity for the second location? How did you guys know you were ready to open that second location? Um, you know, I think we were doing well at Vintage Park at that point, and you know, uh, we felt like I mean, our overall mission is bringing the wonders of South African cuisine to the masses. And the next step at that point was proving that a South African concept could survive inside the city of Houston. Okay, you know, as at, at that point, we we're a big fish in a small pond, being out, out in the suburbs of Vintage Park. And, uh, man, there were, well, there wasn't a lot of people that believed as well as we were doing at Vintage Park. They didn't think that we would survive inside the loop in Houston, Texas. So, so you just want to prove them wrong. I mean, not, not that ha- we had to prove them wrong. Yeah. I mean, if this concept is going to go national one day or if it's going to be a franchise, surely you have to execute and be embraced by the city. So right? you, so you bring the concept inside the loop. What happens? how did it go? Um, it was great. I mean, we, we had built up a lot of goodwill over the years, and a lot of people didn't want to drive to Vintage Park, and, and having a location at the Galleria was more central. Um, and so when we opened in 2015, our, our reality show restaurant startup on CNBC had already aired as well. Um, we had a big boost, you know. Yeah, I was, gonna, I was asking. I was kind of curious. Actually, it hadn't aired yet, but we had, we had, people knew that we had recorded it, and it was going to air. So when you were recording that, um, you were at two locations, one, one location, one. still, one location. still, and you were pitching your fast casual concept, right? Okay. Right. So you knew that you wanted to do the fast casual concept before you even scaled to the second location. That's right. Um, why did you end up doing the second location of Peli Peli? So just to clarify for the listeners, Peli Peli is the original location that is a fine dining comfort food uh, that's that's the brand, mm-hmm. uh, and the uh, Peli Peli Kitchen is the uh, more approachable, uh, fast casual right. uh, concept. I, I always use PF Chang and Payway. I mean, uh, it's a it's providing uh, a fine dining and fast casual concepts to that we're we're openly available to the whole market. Mm-hmm. So what what was going on where you? Diver, like you, you were seeming like you're on this track to do the fast casual, but then you open another fine dining. What happened there? Was there just an opportunity? You it was. Turn away? It was an opportunity, and we've always wanted to build Peli Peli as well as Peli okay. Peli Kitchen. And um, you know, the show called for something more fast casual, and it was an opportunity to to prove to ourselves that something like this people would actually want. Yeah, I was curious because you, you mentioned earlier your your ability to brand and to market into. Um, was this more of a hype thing for you guys? Were you trying to get on the show to, to 
for the the attention, or were you looking for the money? Both. Okay. I mean, I'm, I mean, obviously we, we can use the money, but it, for me, it's it's all building the brand and the credibility, right? Okay. Um, you know, Paul has since been on the Food Network twice. Uh, we've been on Restaurant Startup, and 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 we show these things on the t- one of the TVs at each of our fine dinings, and you know, it's it's a branding component as well. Yeah. You know, it's credibility. People are drawn to concepts that they've seen on television, yeah. they've seen on cooking shows. It adds an air of kind of uh, enhancement of your reputation. Yeah. Now, they offered you $1.25 million. $1.25 million. Uh, you turned it down. Why did you turn it down? Actually, we hit, we accepted did it. Did you? Oh, we okay. Did. I thought you we, turned it down. We did. Well, you're you're not wrong in the sense that we, we accepted it on the show. Okay. But we ultimately uh, did not close on it. Okay. Why and, not? What happened there? Uh, you know, Elizabeth, uh, she was in a very experienced restaurant tour. She owned a portfolio of restaurants in Las Vegas and she came down and I think, should we explain to the listeners what restaurant startup is real quick? Maybe. They, oh yeah. They have it. So it's a restaurant startup is basically kind of like a shark tank, right. but for the restaurant industry, a, a, where exactly. these veteran restaurant tours will invest in your concept and join your team and help you scale. Right. Okay. Take it from there. Sorry. And so, uh, no, I mean, she came down here and I think it was just the wrong time for both of us. I think we weren't as developed and we didn't have as many systems in place that she wanted. Okay. And I think we also had to prove to her that we could execute. You know, at that point, we only had one location. And I don't know if she was entirely convinced that the three, you know, three of us at the time could pull it off. Mm. And, you know, I think if we had met now, I think th- we, we might be on a, like more of a mutually beneficial relationship. But mm-hmm. at that point, I think we leaned too much on her. Yeah. You know, and I don't think she appreciated what we brought to the table. And I don't think we were ready for her either. Do you think you had the sense of having the to prove it to her after you guys went your own ways? Absolutely. Was that kind of a, maybe a little extra fire underneath your ass that kind of made you make sure you, you did it right? I'm not going to lie. That was part of it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, that's not a bad thing, but some, like, sometimes we need to, to get that. I mean, essentially you go to a consultant, like some people will go to a consultant and then they'll get a reality check and they'll get woken up a little bit and say, okay, well did that, was that like a reality check for you guys? Did you kind of maybe smell the roses a little? When, it, it was, it, it was a, a reality check in the sense that, can I really pull this off? Maybe mm-hmm. we got lucky with this location at Vintage Park. Yeah. You know, uh, how do we know Vialeria is going to work? How do we know, you know, Pelly Pelly Kitchen is going to work? And, 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 and our success on the show and ultimately su- the success in opening Galleria all kind of gave us uh, a feeling that this is good enough. We're yeah. going to make this happen. So what did she bring to your attention that you would have otherwise not have known? Was there anything that she brought and shown light on that you maybe would have not noticed? I think two things. Um, she wasn't happy with our lack of the systems that we had in place. Okay. You know, if we're going to grow, uh, we didn't build the ecosystem for that growth. Um, second thing was, I, I don't think we understood um, the financial components of it. You know, I, I think... Uh, it like you guys knew your numbers during the actual show because... Mm, we, we, we knew the basics, okay. but we didn't know how to grow that. You okay. know, um, again, we were looking at things from a one location deal and she was looking like 10 steps ahead. Like, you know, you guys, um, you know, you don't have a, you should have a better understanding of your P and L's and, and, and your finances. And we were up, we were still very much mom and pop yeah. uh, mentality at that point. So what systems <clears throat> did you choose to implement first once she had, she kind of exposed that you didn't have the systems you would need? I mean, it's, I, it's it's taken us, I mean, ten years to probably get to where she wanted us to get. 
You know, it's mm-hmm. been an evolution uh, for us as a company. It's not, it wasn't something that happened overnight. Um, we were still, we we're still refining our system to this day. But that, that's a thing right there. I think you make a very, like a really good point because you're never there completely. Right. And it's a never ending process. And a lot of people will look at themselves as a mom and pop and compare, compare them to bigger companies. But here's the thing. A lot of those systems co- come at a cost right. too. So you, you have to scale your systems as you have the cash flow. Uh, it's not going to be overnight, you know, and right. never wait until your systems are exactly right. Cause you'll never open in that case. Right. <laughs> so, uh, not to derail you too much, but any other thoughts regarding the systems you developed? Uh, nothing. I mean, just to what you're, we're speaking of, I mean, it's, it's, we're now hitting our 10 year anniversary and there's still so much that we have to, to learn and to do. And we're, and the, 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 I guess the bad thing about our industry is again, it's always evolving. Mm-hmm. So the things that I did, marketing, branding, PR-wise for Pelly Pelly five years ago are outdated. I mean, it, you know, to reach, like, different markets now require different things, so it's it's tough. That's kind of one, one of the things I want to talk about. How have you evolved as a brand expert in marketing and PR expert? What are you doing differently today that you weren't doing, say, five or ten years ago? I think that you're – I think it's to get your name out there in, in social media or just marketing in general, it's, it's very fragmented now, much more so than it was – Five years ago, ten years ago, it's probably a good thing for the consumer. Uh, it, it's not a bad thing for us. It just makes the marketplace uh, that much more difficult to navigate. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, now, I mean, you know, on social media, it used to be what Facebook. Now it's you know Instagram. Now it's Snapchat. And it's Twitter. I mean, and there's probably like ten other ones that I have no clue about. Uh, that's how people get their information. So which ones are you focused on right now? Right now uh, that we're focused primarily on Facebook and Instagram. Okay. Why are those two? I like Instagram personally. Um, I like that it's, uh, photography driven. Um, I'm not a huge fan of Twitter. Not that I, I know that it's, it's probably something that we're, we're lacking and missing. Our Twitter account sucks. You know, um, I don't enjoy Twitter. So again, it goes back to like, you know, at this point, I'm I'm just doing things that I enjoy, and I enjoy Facebook and Instagram. Yeah, I think that's. I know that's a terrible thing for the restaurant, but <laughs> I don't think a lot of people are on Twitter anymore. And I'm not, you know, it's it's one of those. I, I think Instagram kind of replaced Twitter uh, because it's 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 the same thing, but it's using image to communicate faster, and you can use text. It's, mm-hmm. I, most people are on Facebook and Instagram; those are the two solid platforms. Uh, any tricks of to the trade of marketing and using these platforms to? Any strategy there that you can share with us? Um, you know, two things. I mean, one, you always want to tell a story. Um, and two, you always want to make sure that you, again, going back to like you being a representative of the brand, like your personality, people have to see that. You have to pick it. You know, you can't just say, hey, Pelly Pelly, this is great food. Hey, by the way, we have great food. Like people want to know more than that. Mm-hmm. Like, what are you about? What do you care about? What do you do? You know, um, it's especially with the the younger demographic now. They they really care about like what you stand for. Yeah. Um, you know what do you want your brand to mean? Uh, food is good, great. Service is cool, but like who are you guys really about? And and you have to tell that story, and you have to tell it uh, with honesty. Mm-hmm. What about the transition from fine dining to fast casual? What was that like for you guys? Um, it was difficult. You what know, was difficult about it. Um. I mean, it's a different set of issues. I mean, you know, I'll give, for example, I mean, fine dining staffing is a little bit easier uh, than our our fast casuals only because, you know, the servers make really good money. And, you know, uh, whereas, you know, I'm not saying 
hourly employees can't make good money, but you're, you know, it's, it's hard to kind of have to, you know, you're paying eight, nine, 10, 11 dollars an hour to, to kids. How do you get them to care? You know, and it's, it's harder for them to have like that, that long-term career there. And so, you know, learning how to navigate that, you know, learning how to navigate cost of goods, food costs, um, you know, at a fine dining, you know, the time it takes for a person to get their meal is different than what it, what their expectation is on a fast casual concept. So having to learn everything about that was difficult. What was the biggest lesson you had to learn? Um, that they're completely different animals, uh, and have to be complete, uh, and treated as such, you know, um, we, we had managers that were paid too much at fast casual. And that was because in our minds, that's what it took to run a restaurant. And and again, a fast casual is run differently than a fine dining. Mm -hmm. And we, it took us quite a bit of time to, 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 we're still learning, but yeah, that was difficult. So we are already at almost an hour of recording time. Uh, it's crazy to think how, fa- how fast <laughs> the time goes. Anything that we have not discussed up to this point, anything that you were hoping we would discuss or anything that you think you can bring to the table now to leave us all better before going to the speed round? Um, you know, for me, like I, I, I wouldn't be here without a whole list of other people um, from Paul to uh having mentors reaching out with other restaurant tours, you know, meeting Eric Silverstein and getting his input past guests on the show. Um, you know, it, it's, it seems like our industry has just become much more collaborative, you know, meeting Anna, uh, with the TRA, they've been instrumental in just connecting so many different restaurant tours in different cities. And, uh, she's a connector and it's cool. I just met, um, uh, Nicole, uh, with Pizarro's pizza last week and, you know, that's a relationship that we're going to be able to, to like, we're going to be able to share information with each other, advice, share our issues. And, you know, there can be no shortage of that, you know, yes. I mean, and so, uh, you know, I really appreciate uh, what the Texas Restaurant Association and Aunt, people like Anna do. Their jobs is to help us uh, su- survive and succeed by collaborating with others and, and sharing information and so that we're not on an island. Right? Yeah. And that's, that's a huge lesson right there is that you, the, the restaurants that are on the, you know, South or West of your or East or whatever, whatever direction around you, the restaurants around you in your community down the street, aren't your competition. Right. They're your, they're your, 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 your brothers and sisters Absolutely. that are there fighting the good fight just like you and go to them, offer help and try to be a value to them and watch how it returns. Right. Absolutely. And, and uh, I think that's why we, how we've been successful. I mean, we have great relationships with a lot of different restaurateurs and it's because we've, we've been very open with our failures our mistakes um, because I'm and, and, and when we have an opportunity to, to help others connect others to things that um, they might not have that opportunity to do. Yeah. You said that Eric Silverstein was a, a good mentor to you, a uh, past guest on the show. Uh, what was one lesson that he taught you? Something you, you wouldn't have had without his influence. <clears throat> um, you know, he was instrumental in, in, in connecting us with uh, people that, uh, might help us get a, a book deal. Mm-hmm. Um, he shed some, a lot of great advice on, you know, potentially getting into the airports. Um, you know, uh, what advice did he give you on getting into the airports? Um, you know, for, he just really understanding the notes and bolts of what that transaction looks like. And if it's right for your business, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it's great to like, it was great to reach out to a guy. He was literally a stranger when we first talked, you know, and, 
you know, for him to be so open with this information for my benefit, right? He, he could care less. Like we weren't competing, Mm -hmm. but it was refreshing to have someone being very like honest with, you know, his experience. And in turn, it made me feel like I wanted to be honest with him with like what, what I was going through. When you get, you get. And and ultimately we were able to help each other because I had a, I had one of my uh, favorite employees, uh, Sammy Yepes. He, he wanted to move to Austin. And so I said, man, if there's one restaurant you want to work for, it's going to be this guy. And, and I think he's, he, he, they connected. It and, always comes back around. Right. And, and, that, and uh, so I couldn't be happier that Sammy's with a, a, a restaurateur like Eric. Beautiful. And this is a new question I'm starting to ask all my guests before going into the speed round. And that is uh, our mission statement is to inspire, empower, and transform uh, the industry, the restaurant industry. So let me ask you, how have you transform personally who were you in 2009 versus who you are today in 2019 um i would say selfish um i think in 2009 i'm I'm just worried about doing my own thing making a restaurant happen and i didn't understand the responsibility that i have to uh, use those blessings to impact my community mm. and that didn't really change until i mean probably about 2013 mm-hmm. um and I was able to do some volunteer opportunities and, and understand like, man, you are a selfish bastard. You know, you're not like, what's the, what's the point of having all the success if, if you're not going to use that to enhance the, the lives of others. And, you know, it, it totally changed my perspective. And so now we do proms at for MD Anderson cancer center every year. We, we did one for Austin independent school district. Um, and I'm always, we started a nonprofit called happiness heroes so uh for me i'm all about like <laughs> is there a fire alarm going off right now i don't know what that is <laughs> i think it was the egg maker the egg maker <laughs> that's heather oh <laughs> uh i mean i just realized that um we as restaurant tours as the more successful we get i think we have an opportunity to have to share that journey with others to help them get to their their goal and for me it was i I definitely changed like who I was just because I was self too selfish in my opinion for a period of time. And now I get great, such great, um, such meaningful, uh, more of a purpose in the things that I do because we're able to, to have a nonprofit and do things for the community. And I think our customer base loves that about us. Beautiful. Awesome. This has been a great conversation. Thank you so much, Thomas. We're gonna take a quick break to thank our sponsors. One more time. We'll be right back. So this probably does not come as a surprise to you, but as you can imagine, I look at a lot of restaurant websites because I'm constantly researching my next guest, successful restaurant tours, and you'd be surprised how many of those people have bento box websites. I mean, I almost know instantly when looking at these websites because they're always so stunning and they always check every box, everything that a good restaurant website should have. These websites have them, and it's because they're going to Bento Box to get the work done. And not only will Bento Box leave a lasting impression with your guests, but Bento Box websites come with hospitality-focused tools that are proven to drive revenue online. With Bento Box, you can easily update menus, promote events, share press, sell gift cards, take catering orders, and book private events directly from your website. Bento Box puts you in control so you can focus on what matters most, your restaurant. Bring your restaurant hospitality online with bento box by signing up today at getbento.com slash unstoppable and save up to $1,500 on initial setup for your new restaurant website. 
It's the entrepreneurial myth, and I'm sure you're familiar with it. It's the idea that when you open your own restaurant, life is going to get easy because you get to do exactly what it is that you love, whether that's front of house or back of house. And then reality kicks in, right? You've got to do all this other stuff that comes with owning a business like taxes, HR, payroll, really boring stuff. That's where Gusto comes in. Gusto makes payroll, taxes, HR actually easy for small business. And if you want to add on 401k or health benefits, it's a breeze. Those old school clunky payroll providers just were not built for the modern small business. Not to mention, you, you've got to compete with the big guys. But how do you compete with the big guys when you don't have big guy bucks? Well, with Gusto. That's how. Get back to doing what it is you love and let Gusto handle the rest. And because you are Restaurant Unstoppable listeners, you'll get your first three months free when you run your first payroll. That's Gusto.com slash unstoppable. Again, Gusto.com slash unstoppable. We're back, and the first question I have for you is what is your it factor? A habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? Uh, I think it's having a passion for what I do. I'm never off. What is your biggest weakness? My biggest weakness is my. Um, I need to. I need to be better at prioritizing my time and spending quality time with the people that matter most to me. How are you? How are you doing that? Uh, I literally have to schedule it in my phone. Um, I have to schedule my quality time. I have to schedule reminders of anniversaries. I yeah. can't. I can't forget about the people that got me to this point. Just because I'm busy, I need to make time for them because uh, without them, I wouldn't be here. What's one question you ask or thing you look for during the interview process? Um, I always ask, like, sell me something that, like, if they've worked at a restaurant before, uh, pick something that they like and sell it to me. Okay. What are you looking for? I, I want to see uh, their salesmanship. Um, I want to see how well they know their own product. Mm, I like it. What's your biggest challenge today? Um, really understanding the importance of uh, building the proper systems. I mean, it's 10 years in, and, and we still can be better uh, creating systems that, allow for better efficiency in, in finance, HR, and um, hire and, um, and marketing. What is one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team? Um, always try to have a positive attitude. What is one uncommon standard of service you teach your team? Something common within your four walls, not common within the industry. Um, I don't know if it's not uncommon in the industry, but I mean, again, we, we always want our staff to be stars. We want them to get to know our customer base and, and, and have them want to come back, not for the food, but want to come back just for them. What's one book that's a must read to make us a better person or a restaurant operator? Uh, setting the table. Um, uh, uh, and yeah, I mean, that's a hospitality Bible. So what's the biggest lesson you drew from that book? Um, customer actually, uh, doesn't come first. Your employees do. What is one thing you feel restaurateurs don't do well enough or often enough? Uh, understanding how to uh, better market and brand their uh, the importance of brand uh, branding and for the restaurant concept. What is one piece of technology you've adopted within your four walls that's had a huge influence on operations, communications, efficiency, profitability, anything along those lines? Uh, good question. I mean, I don't know if this my personally for me, I love Trello just because it allows me to organize all my thoughts. What is Trello? It's, it's literally like a things to do tracker for you and your team too, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is it just for you or using it for your team? My my team uses it as well. Beautiful. Uh, this is the last question. It's a doozy. Are you ready for it? (laughs) 
If you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. All the memories of you, your work, and your restaurants would be lost with your departure with the exception of three pieces of wisdom. Three things you could leave behind for the good of humanity and for your legacy. What would those three things be? Those three things you know to be true. Uh, three things. Um, it's tough. You know, it's tough. <laughs> I mean, uh, really understanding your responsibility to give back to this world. You know, um, I wish I had I learned that earlier. That's one. That's one. Um, finding your passion because if you find your passion, no one's going to be able to outwork you. That's two. Um, and uh, make sure you spend enough time with the people that matter most to you. I think mm. most people, I, I'm, I'm realizing that now. I wish I knew it earlier, but I make quality time for my, my dog Tyson, for my wife, for my parents. It's tough sometimes, but you have to make time. For them because they're not going to be around forever. I love it, man. This has been a great conversation. We wrap up every chat by calling somebody out. So who's one independent restaurant operator? Somebody you admire and look up to and believe would make a great guest mentor like you've made for us today. Um, Probably Jonathan Horowitz, uh, yes. CEO of Legacy. He's He has a heart for the city and, 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 a, and a heart for really elevating those around him yeah and he is on my radar cool. i think i'm meeting with him thursday so i cannot wait to get him on the show and i'll let the folks at home know if we want to follow what you're doing here uh pelly pelly kitchen or pelly pelly your original location what's the best way to connect or to follow what you're up to maybe we want to come work for you what's the best way to um my email is thomas at pellypelly.com and you can follow me on instagram at south african asian um, for our restaurants, it's Pelly Pelly Houston on Instagram, Pelly Pelly Kitchen on Instagram. And just make sure you stick around for the closing thoughts and you can head over to restaurantunstoppable.com, find a summary of today's discussion, a link saying the tools, services, or books recommended, and how to connect with Thomas all over there. Again, Thomas, man, thank you so much. Hey, man, thanks for having me. That was awesome. Oh, it was my pleasure. There is no questioning. You are unstoppable. Thank you. Cheers. All right, there we go. Another episode in the archive here at Restaurant Unstoppable. I hope you all found value. Before I let you go, I have to remind you, please sign up for the Restaurant Unstoppable email list. That is where you will never miss an episode and you get the behind the scenes of what's going on here, where I'm at, what's on my mind, and what the future of Restaurant Unstoppable looks like, and you can have an influence on that. Don't forget to connect on social media. That's slash Restaurant Unstoppable on Facebook and at Eric Cacciatore, E-R-I-C. C-A-C-C-I-A-T-O-R-E on Instagram. But the most important thing you can do to support this mission of inspiring, empowering, and transforming our industry is by sharing this sucker with anybody and everybody you know who's aspiring to be great in the industry. All right. Thank you so much for sticking around this long. Until next time, peace out. Peace out.